Welcome to The Room of Lives. I am your host, Neil. In this second part of my conversation with Romanian programmer and Ethereum developer, Loredana Kirstea, we talk about her experiences in spirituality and psychedelics. She shares her path into spirituality and Indian practices such as Hatha Yoga, fasting, and meditation. Then she describes her experiences and visions on the Iboga and the Amanita mushroom, and I share how my psychedelic experiences exposed my deepest fears of losing my mind and dying. Loredana then explains how her spiritual and psychedelic experiences inspired her towards karma yoga, the spiritual path of selfless work, and how she is trying to implement these ideas of provable volunteering on the blockchain through her Laurel project. Let's now talk about spirituality and psychedelics. I'm actually quite excited that you sent me some topics on of that. I did not expect that. I thought that, you know, you were either not going to send me anything and I was just going to ask you my questions or you're going to send me something about something else. And uh, so I'm like kind of excited that you're going to be talking about some stuff that like I find exciting. Um, so could you tell me a little bit about what your like spiritual trajectory has been like did you have any like like spiritual experiences in your life and how is it that you know you're from romania but you kind of got into what are like eastern and indian spirituality so how did this whole trajectory happen in your life i i can say that my spiritual journey in a way started in childhood when I had a lot of time on my hands just mm -hmm. to think about things and you eventually ask yourself the question of what even am I and what's this existence that <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm having yeah I've done that how too can, many times yeah. yeah how can you even determine anything how but of course with with the brain of a child when you don't have enough uh, tools or analytical knowledge it's it's quite hard you don't even know where to start uh, i i remember the first time when i asked uh, my father how how this basically how this sound work because we had this uh, uh, big uh, big box in the house that made sound how does it do it yeah uh, and I could not comprehend how things can exist that I cannot see. <laughs> I had a hard time comprehending that there are, you actually have microscopes or have different ways to measure it. Was a, uh, it was a whole a whole world of the unknown. How can you, mm. how can you know what you cannot see? Um, so the first uh, incursion in these types of questions were with a very n n naive way of looking at the world and trying to to determine uh, is there a god is the, the actually the first time that i really really wanted to know if there's a god was in second grade we we did um, uh, romania is a orthodox christian country so uh, we had religion as a subject in school, but it was not really religion as as much as indoctrination mm. in in the, this uh, system of thinking. Um, but that's when in second grade, I around eight years of age, I really really wanted, and I was desperate to find out: is there a God? My my parents didn't uh, believe in God. Uh, usually in the communist regime, you it, yes, it was against. Same for same for us yeah. also. Yeah. Yes. So it was a clash, a first clash of two worlds of uh, my parents and this uh, new concept that it, something exists um, that's beyond my parents. So for for that specific reason, it was it, it was a good thing because again, it forces you to get out of the box that that you are in and and ask yourself, is there something bigger? Mm. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then I, I had the chance to, uh, to meet a friend who was more into this type of uh, Eastern 
uh, practices and in hatha yoga and um, we had some some courses on this in uh, in, in my country um, and it was very good at least I I didn't do as much hatha yoga I don't do as much hatha yoga as, as I would want and need but uh, I still I still practice and it has helped me a lot with focus mm. uh, I usually do hatha yoga that um, where you stay multiple minutes in the same asana mm. um, not much the, the dynamic uh, uh, asanas but the, the stat static ones and this uh, forces you to to have to to be comfortable with yourself in in the moment and uh, quiet your mind and this is very useful when programming because you need to stay a lot of time on the same focused on the same thing and when my mind is uh, very fuzzy if i actually if i do a meditation or an asana um, i can get more into in, into the zone because it uh, it helps my my mind quiet down and focus on the, the important problems. So this is part of, of uh, the spiritual practice that I do and um, also fasting, mm. uh, different ways of fasting uh, is a, and was and is a big part of, uh, of my practice. And I found out that it improves my mind a lot. Mm. Immediately when I, when I don't eat, in a clean way or between the hours that I set for myself, I don't have such a clear mind. It's uh, even my emotions are harder to, to control. Mm. So it's, it's an ongoing uh, effort in a way that I, that I do every day. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, but I had the chance to experience some, uh, some interesting substances and I, I should say that it was in a space and time where they were legal so I don't uh, condone the use of these substances without proper care about uh, even about legality mm -hmm. um, yeah could you tell me a little they... bit more about your experiences on the psychedelics I'm very curious also, it, it's uh, because it seems like the, the psychedelics that you mentioned, I don't know if ibogaine qualifies as psychedelic, but these substances mm -hmm. that you mentioned, um, ibogaine and musimol, mus, musimol yeah. I guess, yeah. they are not some of the more commonly used psychedelics that I hear about. So I've heard like plenty of people's experiences on like LSD or mushrooms and mm -hmm. some people's mm -hmm. experiences on DMT. But ibogaine and musimol, I haven't heard. Yes, actually, yesterday when you, I, I was working on this list of questions, I was like, "What are these things?" And I started mm -hmm. looking them up on Wikipedia. I'm like, "Oh, I have never even looked at the Wikipedia page for what these things are." So I'm kind of curious to know what these experiences have been for you. Yes. So I, I would compare these experiences with how uh, artificial intelligence algorithms work. Mm. Um, I've, I've said that you... You need to find... So you need to not be... Um, to find your way out of a local minima. Mm. A, 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 a minima is given by... Uh, for example, a, a reward function. It's when a reward function has a, a maximum value or mm -hmm. you think it's a maximum value. So you get comfortable in some, um, in some instantiation of your uh, personality or uh, thoughts or principles. And these substances are a way to, um, to jolt you a little bit from, mm -hmm. from that uh, perspective so you can maybe find a better one that mm. you haven't seen up until that point. Mm. It's, it's getting you out of that box that you've uh, fit yourself into and giving you enough space so you can maybe find different ideas and uh, understand the world from a different perspective. Mm. 
So what they do is they, they, they jiggle a bit the parameters of, of your brain so mm -hmm. you can find maybe a better uh, mi minima. Mm -hmm. um, and Ibogaine, for example, does this, uh, works on your ego. Yeah. It, it forced, if, if you want to have an experience with it, you need to let go of your ego mm -hmm. and, and just receive whatever it is that uh, um, you are seeing with your mind's eyes mm. uh, and not put your ego in it. And I will, I will um, go into a bit more detail of, of, about how, how this is done. And uh, the other one with Amanita, um, mm. Amanita works on time. It it um, it distorts time. It gives you another perspective on time and on cycles. So that's where it's uh, it's quite interesting. Um, but I want to preface preface this uh, with with something uh, I think it's very important if you want to have these experiences it's very important what you do before mm. you can have these experiences to have fun mm -hmm. which I don't that can backfire a lot on yourself on your uh, moral backbone and uh, it, it's not something that I um, that I would advise people to to have these experiences just for fun, just because of peer pressure, mm -hmm. or because of wanting to, to to fit in. Even even if you do that, you need to be mindful, because you can learn a lot of things about yourself and about others, and you need to have a strong uh, moral backbone to not use this new information. Uh, in in ways that's not that's not moral. Mm. So I would advise people to to have a bit of an um, ascetic um, how um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I'm talking about uh, what monks, for example, do. Uh, they they uh, like ascetic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, that's ascetic. that's what yeah, I'm yeah. saying. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. I wasn't sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, yeah. mm -hmm. So I think taking care of your diet is very important. For mm -hmm. example, I, I didn't uh, eat for 24 hours when I uh, took these, um, um, these substances. Uh, also, it's very important to, to, to know and, and respect yama and niyama, mm. the, the, um, the virtues that you, you need to respect or in, in your relationship with others and then with yourself. Mm. So I would talk a bit about about this just to mm. uh, to remind them to, to people, which is uh, nonviolence, ahimsa, the, the, the five most important yamas. Uh, ahimsa, non, nonviolence, satya, following of the truth, asteya, not stealing, brahmacharya, which is... Uh, chastity and in general abstinence and aparigraha uh, non-possessiveness not uh, uh, wanting too much of of something i think these are very important because it it lets you when you have the experience they let you focus on your higher ego on the higher part of your ego instead of of your lower needs and wants and uh, that you usually experience each day mm. and then uh, niyama which are are less so you you can prove yamas more niyamas you cannot really prove because it's work within your own self mm. uh, saucha the purity cleanliness of, of mind which is of speech and body which is very hard to to attain especially in in today's world where you have so many distractions it's hard to to keep a clean mind without mm. thinking of all other problems uh, santosha which is content acceptance of, of others um, accepting 
your life as it is, which may be hard, then tapas, which is austerity and discipline, Zvadhyaya, which is the study of self, it's self-awareness, knowing why you do what you do. Ishvara Pranidana, which is attention to, to, to God and the energies of God. Um, and to, to give a definition of, of God. God in the end is what you think God is. For you, God is the highest, uh, the combination of, uh, of the morals that you think would be the highest. It's the, this perfect being that maybe you could actually be yourself if you would follow uh, your own God. So this is what, uh, what is a very applicable and usable concept of God. And I think we have a duty to, to know what is God for us, who is God, what, what principles uh, does this God follow. And b because it tells a lot about us and what we want to become and we want to do. Mm. And it, it becomes very, very useful in our journey. Mm. So because these substances have a a very strong spiritual connotation. The idea is that you should get rid of everything that bogs you down in your usual day-to-day -day life. So you need to prepare a bit for, for the experience so you actually have something that's not ordinary. Mm -hmm. And it, it takes you to, to know more about yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and also it's very good to train your mind uh, to do meditation, to, because things like Amanita, uh, you will sleep and you will not remember anything mm. if you don't have a strong mind. Mm. Um, or you may not be able to, to recall and understand the experience. So this is a, this is a very good thing to train your mind in, in these ways. And to explain a bit about, um, I'll start with Iboga, mm -hmm. which uh, was, I think fondly of that experience. Um, it was, if, if you think about, about how um, Eastern philosophy uh, has the chakras, mm -hmm. you have Muladhara chakra, Svadhisthana, Manipura, which is the will, the ego, mm. And then you have the upper part with Anahata, which is the heart. Uh, Iboga was on, on Anahata. It was an opening of, of the heart with uh, um, a renunciation of, of the ego, of, of your own will. And just uh, an example of, of love, of selfless love, of uncondition unconditional love, but in a way that rewards you for wanting to evolve. Not, not a static love that's born from, uh, um, from, uh, what can I say? It's uh, from need. Yeah, like a kind it's, of attachment. Yeah. Yes, it yeah. was without attachment, but mm -hmm. with, with rewarding you for wanting to evolve. Mm -hmm. Iboga was a, was a series of, of tests of, of this uh, sort. So it started with, um, with seeing horizontal lines of color that were very dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, and I was afraid that I could not have the experience because I was afraid I could not have visual um, experiences. So what I did was I was, I was concentrating with my, my eyes closed on those lines that, that were there and trying to uh, just to focus on them. And eventually they started forming uh, various uh, various shapes and forms, but also they always had a kind of a dynamism to them. And then when I was opening my eyes, I could still see them in my, uh, in my normal view. And with an increasing sense of dizziness, mm. um, 
I also have a history of motion sickness, so that was quite hard for me. So what I did with to, to control the sensation of, uh, of being dizzy and to not uh, vomit what I had just eaten, I had to lay down on the ground with my, my back to the floor and my, my face up in the open. Mm. And what was very, very important, I, I, was, I was staying still all mm. the time. I had to relax my body because otherwise it would... Uh, the dizziness would be so so bad that I would need to uh, to go and, and, and vomit, and I didn't want to do that. So it was very important that my hands were at uh, at this angle; they were spread. Up. It, and it's another sign of being uh, ready to take in anything that is going to to come come for you for you. Um, and one other thing that I did was just press. Uh, press the the root of my nose with uh, kind of three three fingers and this helped a lot with with that sensation but generally staying very relaxed and just letting anything uh, happen and mm. uh, and what I started to slowly see was I saw myself as a child and I was no longer a child at that point in time but I saw myself as uh, a child in f in front of me, so I, I was also there as an observer, but also a child, and I was following this child on a path, and I remember seeing a kind of a carousel, and then with different faces from my life, and then I started thinking, okay, these are, uh, these, these are distractions, these are faces from my past, I shouldn't uh, be... Uh, be paying attention to them, let's see what, what other things happen. And at some point, um, some sort of, you know, when, when, you, when you hear about Iboga, you actually hear about people seeing African people in their dreams. Mm. And that's what also happened to me, which is, I didn't expect that necessarily. This is, but this is how my brain processed all that experience. So I had a guide that was like an, an African features, like you would see tribal people, mm -hmm. because your, your mind works with what, with what you know. Mm -hmm. So of course you, your mind tries to, to, um, to see with what you already know, you, yeah. you piece together information. Mm -hmm. So. It was with um, someone with African features, but very with a, a light coming from from within that was overwhelming everything else. Mm. So that was kind of a guide, and at some point he he took me, the one who was in in that uh, in that setting stage, and uh, I was going through some tunnels and going through tunnels through tunnels, and then. Um, I ended up in a, in a place that had kind of the, there are some wooden, wooden logs that are used for martial arts. You put them in the ground and then you step on them mm. and you do all sorts of, so there was a land full of these wooden logs. And then I saw an entire tribe of, of the same type of people seemed like African people, but very with a very uh, powerful light coming from within. And they were, they were running. And they were running so fast that they were like ghosts. Mm. And in a way, I knew they were running fast. Um, but I could at the same time see them. And they passed me, they smiled at me, but they passed me and I was left behind. And I was, what, what do I do now? I want to be with these people. It, it was such a, such a nice feeling of openness mm. that I also want to go, but I'm stuck here. And mm. how can I run? And then I started asking myself, really, I, I cannot run. Why wouldn't I be able to run? Let's, let's, let me try to run. Mm. And it was very hard in... It's hard to explain because you're, you're still in your mind. Mm. So in my mind, it was hard to run. Mm. And I had to put in effort, the effort to try to run. Mm. And 
after I did that, I actually started to run and I was running with them. And that was one of the greatest moments in the, in, in the whole experience. It was such a great joy and uh, to be able to be in that communion with the it, it was a pure joy. That's that's the only thing how how I can how I can uh, describe what what Iboga offered me. Yeah. But then um, after after that, I ended up in in a place where um, people were around a very big um, rock statue, and they were doing offerings and and so on. And I was looking at, at that scene and I started seeing that statue come over me. Mm. And this is what, this is a pattern that has repeated itself. It's, it's a test of, of fear. I was scared that that statue is going to fall on me and it was coming towards me. And I tried to calm myself saying, look, this is, this is not real. This is a dream. Mm. Just... Mm. Just take it in. Just see what happens. Stay, stay in the same position, relaxed, and see what happens. And it went through me. Mm. And then my guide appeared again. Mm. And he took me to another place. Mm. And I had another such test with all sorts of figures that were uh, scary, that were mm. coming towards me. And I tried to, to relax myself and mm. take it all in because nothing's going to hurt me and so on. And again... Then the guide appeared and he took me to another place. And at some, one of the last tests was uh, again something like this. And uh, I saw something that I could only describe as it, it, it resembled, uh, if uh, you know, Anubis from Egyptian, uh, Egyptians, it was like the head of a dog in, in, a, in profile. Mm -hmm. And somehow I got so scared because it didn't seem like an empty figure. It seemed like some some entity was behind that representation. Mm -hmm. I, I got think scared. Anubis is supposed to be like the god of like the dead or something in yes. Egy in Egyptian cultures. Like yes. something kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's where I stopped, and that's where the vision stopped. Oh. So all of these were tests of of trying to open up your ego to not be afraid to be open yeah. to anything to accept anything and the moment i couldn't take it yeah that's when it stopped do you feel like if you take iboga at some point in the future it might resume from whatever position you stopped i don't know but uh, if i have the opportunity at some point i would be curious to see how i evolved from from that yeah but uh it Taught, taught me a lot of things and the the experience of that pure joy of mm. of doing the right thing because when you when you were um, finishing a test correctly you would go to another level mm -hmm. so this is how how it felt like uh, like a continuous test and that was a, a a great joy for me yeah but it also showed me that I have some issues uh, that I need to to solve within myself yeah yeah that's 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 very interesting i um i also feel like i have this like recurring issue that keeps coming up either on psychedelic trips or like i kind of mentioned in my email in my like lucid dreams is the recurring thing of what am i most afraid of and it can take like multiple different forms one is i'm afraid of losing my mind because it's very important to me like I'm a PhD student, like I really identify a lot with my mental capabilities. One time on a heroic dose of shrooms, I really lost my mind. I was like, I couldn't do basic stuff, like remember who I am, what is a PhD, where do I live, you know. I found myself two floors below where I am, completely naked, locked out of my room, and I couldn't answer basic questions. And at some point, I was like, wow, I really actually, the worst thing possible has happened. <laughs> like, I have lost mm -hmm. my mind. I thought it is something that will happen when I get old enough and my mental capacities will start to fail and that's when I will be confronted with that scary thing, but it has happened now. But I noticed that 
I wasn't as scared as I thought I would be. Like my conceptual mind was still scared a little bit because it couldn't find the rest of it. But I did not find so much fear coming up from my body. Like my body mm-hmm. was still like, just go mm-hmm. to sleep. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fine. So and the next morning I woke up and my mind was back. But I think I learned something from it, which is a rehearsal or a demo of facing this thing that I'm like very scared of. So that's one part of it is losing my mind. But what is also related is the fear of death. Like I grew up with a very strong fear of death. And in some of my psychedelic experiences and my lucid dreaming experiences, I noticed that what I end up doing like in the lucid dreams is basically try to kill myself. Like basically try to go through the thing that is the scariest. Um, and like how you were saying, you know, the statue was falling on me, on, on you, but it went through you. Mm-hmm. A, I have had like a similar experience where I would do the scariest thing, which is jump off of the edge of a building. And then instead of like hitting the ground, I would keep falling through like different floors. And mm-hmm. um, of course, it's a dream. So I'm not actually endangering myself. But I feel like that experience still teaches me something. Like I feel like after that experience, I am actually a little bit less afraid of this thing that I, you know, that I call death. And uh, so, yeah, I feel like I can relate a little bit at least to the kinds of challenges that you're facing, uh, because I feel like you know that 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 fear is like a, like a recurring element. Like, oh, Neil, what are you most afraid of? <laughs> it keeps coming back. Um, yeah, so that's kind of interesting. And okay, so let's talk about the, so you talked about the iboga, and let's talk about the mushroom. So the, the interesting thing is that Amanita also has can have this effect of making you um, not know how to do basic things. Mm. So... It, you can experience this when when you're still under the influence at the at the end and you need to relearn how to walk mm. you need to relearn how to pee mm. that's uh, and you you do that by actually remembering conceptually what needs to be done and trying to um to make your body react as you would expect it by what you know so um, yeah, you definitely need to be prepared to to have uh, this type of experience too, and be prepared to again be, be very relaxed, mm. uh, have a warm environment where where you can feel okay. And um, what it does, it it detaches you completely from the body. You don't, you're not aware of any. Um, any environment or setting you are in, you are completely detached um, from the time and and space. And um, it's even more important to to have these uh, exercises of meditation and especially something like Shambhavi Mudra, which is focusing on, on an object and trying to um, to reimagine that object inside your mind with all the details that it has, because if if you um, you can sleep it off, you can just go to sleep and not remember anything that has happened. Um, what happened uh, to me was again kind of a, a series of of tests, which I don't think I passed because they were repeating all over again and it was very draining psychologically and mentally in 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 that test um it seemed like i i started to think about evolution and how did we go to being nothing to being humans so i was i was trying to experience the life of a cell, then a, a fish, then something else, and and it was with retaining all the past memories. So the the concept of reincarnation, for example, which also uh, Hinduism has, and also Jewish uh, religion has, you at least you, you don't have you don't keep the memory of past lives, mm. and 
I can understand that with, with that experience, it was extremely uh, tiring to know that you have to restart everything all over again from scratch. Um, that, that was the whole torment of, uh, of my experience. So I was trying to leave all, all, all these lives and then another one would appear and another one. And then I uh, was living the life of a human. And at, at some point from, from, from that uh, experience, I went to, I was a creator of worlds oh. because I had the experience of living all, all these lives. Um, the, the second test was being, it was like there were multiple entities, but I was each, each one of them. So I was doing this effort of creating planets for each of these, uh, these entities. And again, I was starting something doing from scratch, creating these planets and then restarting the process all over again. And, uh, it, it doesn't really feels like what you do in real life also. <laughs> yes, it does. I, I was, I, yeah. I noticed the, yeah. the, the, the resemblance at, at mm. least at that point in time, um, I got the lesson on effort, mm. which is a, a very good lesson to, to, to have, even when it seems like a, a Sisyphean task of mm -hmm. restarting the same thing all over again. Mm -hmm. Um, that was the, the, the main experience. At the end of the experience, I had some realization that I cannot really explain right now because it, it doesn't make sense in this, uh, in the real world context. Back then it made, uh, it made sense, but it's, it's, uh, it's not that important. Um, the important part was this concept of, of, of time and time cycles that can repeat and um it was uh it was interesting and when i w what i remember waking up because i needed to go to the bathroom but i couldn't know um I, first I, w I was afraid that i couldn't find my way back into the real world because there were all these tunnels and i didn't know which one to take and at some point i was drawn from the space that I was in back into the real world, but I couldn't speak. I couldn't say exactly what, uh, what I needed. I, I didn't know what I needed. It was, I, it was really, really strange to have this uh, compulsion in, in you, but you don't know what it is yeah. and you cannot explain it. So uh, it took some, some time to relearn how to walk and uh, make all these uh, normal activities. Uh, that's, that's what I can say about, uh, yeah. this experience. Yeah. Yeah. So you said that these experiences of like Ibogaine and the mushroom and Raja Yoga have inspired or influenced you to become a Karma Yogi. Could you talk a little bit about that? Like how, how did that happen? Yeah, you did mention a little bit in your experiences. Yes, my, my, uh, most of the decisions that I took in life, especially after around 20, 24 years of age, were related to this uh, spiritual path in the end that I want to create for myself. For my life, I'm, I'm more interested in what I can, what I can leave to this society as, as part of myself. And one of the things that I, I was, uh, let, let's say, touched in my life was trying to, to make things right when, when I see injustice. Mm. And you, you cannot tackle injustice case by case. It takes a lot of time to to try to help one person or another mm -hmm. so what i want to, to to build is tools that would help more people yeah. that's why i eventually got into into software and i was um and my work eventually got here got me here in in the centralized technologies and in this work of volunteering it's not the first time 
it's the first time I'm a true volunteer, mm -hmm. but I've been volunteering, for example, um, for two years in the medical emergency department, the biggest mm -hmm. medical emergency department in my country, in the, in the capital in Bucharest. Um, as a medical student, uh, which was a very, an experience where you learn a lot, you see a lot of suffering, you see a lot of people, it's the emergency room. So it's, um, I'm glad I had the, that experience of helping people who, who needed help back then, mm -hmm. uh, like the doctors, the nurses, because we would, we would do anything that they, they would need of us in, of, of course, within, within lim the limits of our knowledge. Um, and I've been a volunteer for, for a long time. Mm. Uh, with uh, even building medical imaging tools for students when I was still in, in university and translating mm -hmm. uh, vocabularies and so on. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm trying to, to bring this into the blockchain domain yeah. also, which is, uh, which is a need of, of good karma. Uh, so let me quote what you said. I found it kind of interesting. You said, uh, the age of karma yoga is dawning. The moral landscape will be deeply transformed by the ability to prove the quality and quantity of effort. Those that demonstrate such virtues on the blockchain, which is an immutable medium, will rightfully earn the trust of others. I work around 15 hours every day, including weekends, to implement such a blockchain. I invite all karma, yog karma yogis or volunteers to validate. It is almost implemented. So, um, several very interesting ideas here. Let's unpack that from the beginning. Could you elaborate a little bit on this idea of your vision of like, why do you feel that the age of karma yoga is dawning? Because up until this time in our society you could not prove effort hmm. now we actually have tools to prove effort and to prove volunteering work hmm. and um, I gave an example like github which is a very known platform for software developers very used for open source hmm. where this is you you can prove your effort you can prove that you've worked exactly what you what you say hmm. and um, there will be a new generation of tools along these lines and they will be used to compute character. Mm. This, is, this is also what the Laurel Project wants to do, mm -hmm. to be able to say these people have done this effort that they can prove they have, they, they have uh, a good character. Mm -hmm. And I think this is... Uh, very important for the leaders of our society. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one idea that I guess it has been kind of bubbling in the back of my mind, but I have not been able to put words to it, is that up until the these technologies of like trustless verification and trustless proving and things like that, humans are social creatures. So the, we have like our own kind of organic ways of judging and evaluating people, how much we can trust them, how much we think they're actually like honest workers, etc. Of course, a lot of the time, those perceptions can be manipulated, like by politicians and whatever. Um, so, so it's not perfect. But at the end of the day, like a lot of people do use this kind of, you know, like when we see a person, there's of course the stuff that they're saying to me, but there's all kinds of like vibes that I'm getting from them. And whether we like it or not, we form a kind of an image of that person based on these like nonverbal, subconscious, like energetics of like, what is this person like or whatever? And what are they saying? And so there's this thing that is like hard to pin down called like trust that uh, I think emerges in human societies from what I would say, a lot of it emerges not from conceptual or analytical proving things or pinning things down, but just like, uh, like you know, I get a feeling about this person. 
And a lot of the time, people will say that that is what they trust a lot more rather than any intellectual or conceptual like proving or something because a lot of people would say oh you can fake all of those things but what you can't fake is this like kind of like subconscious feeling that i'm getting out of it's just a feeling so would you say that you know that even as this technologies of like trustlessly proving or trustlessly verifying your worth or merit or your contributions keeps developing that these like kind of organic ways like non-technological non-conceptual ways trust-based ways are going to disappear or sh they should disappear so let's let's analyze a bit what what is this feeling that we we usually feel when we talk with other people because if it's not if it's not analytical, if you don't um, look at that person's actions and effects on 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 society and on other people, mm -hmm. what we usually respond to is the types of feelings and emotions that we have experienced with other people in our lives. Mm -hmm. So we do some sort of pattern matching of yeah. what I feel with this person, it's, it's automatic, it's very fast, it's a reflex, that, an emotional reflex that we have. And that's not necessarily correct. Hmm. If we don't do a combination of, of this and the analytical skills of actually trying to process, hmm. realistically speaking, hmm. is what, what has this person done uh, as actions in in society, how has this person's actions ha uh, affected uh, the the world around around him or her? Because otherwise, it's it, it's easy to feel good with a person that has the correct characteristics of maybe one of your parents or one of your friends, uh, childhood mm -hmm. friends, and so on. And this plays a lot in in our interactions. It's hard to figure out if a person is honest just by uh, just by looking at, at that mm. person. Because we create, we lie to ourselves. Mm. Um, so, of, of course, it's, it's not necessarily that we want to, mm -hmm. but it can be a defense mechanism. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, if we are to live in a world that is open to everybody, regardless of experience, religion, culture, and so on, we need to find some common ground. Mm -hmm. And the common ground might not be in, in these um, types of, of, of tight-knit relationships that we have in, in our own circle. We might need to, to put ourselves in a situation where, where it's not that comfortable for, uh, for these reflexes that yeah. we have uh, have made. Mm -hmm. So we need to look at tools that are um, are generalizable in, in some way and um, tools that can can help us prove how prove facts mm -hmm. in, in, instead of how we necessarily feel ab ab about them. Mm -hmm. Because it can happen that we are wrong. Yeah. So we need we we need this this balance mm -hmm. between. Uh, tools for a generalizable truth yeah yeah um, so we, we we will evolve our emotions and our feelings to 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 match this yeah. i yeah, think yeah, this yeah. will this will happen yeah 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 i think i think i think uh, i think i agree that a lot of technologies when they are first presented they kind of exist on the level of oh this isn't like novel thing but as human beings interact more and more with it, I think what happens is it becomes an extension of our neural, you know, like perception of the world. And so it just becomes integrated into how we perceive someone or whatever. Like, yeah, of course, I think snap judgments still happen, but a lot of the time it happens as a result of the thing that I see now. Like I can go on a website and within microseconds, I have a gut feeling of how trustable I think this website is. But it's not based on anything random. It is kind of based on cues yes. that I'm seeing there that I'm like absorbing really quickly. What are the fonts? 
what is the design like you know and things like that and some of it you could say is like it's not very rational but it is also maybe it is rational because it's like the human mind is kind of like a bayesian statistical learning thing it keeps on making hypotheses based on the statistics that it sees and it keeps seeing the results of those hypotheses was that correct or not and hopefully it keeps learning in the right direction. It's like these statistics map onto these possible consequences. And people say you should not stereotype. But a lot of the purpose of the brain is to summarize. Otherwise, we would not be able to exist in the world yes. if we couldn't summarize people. So I feel like, you know, you're, you're kind of right that, you know, that in the beginning when we were like, you know, probably like hunt, hunter-gatherer tribes, our minds were not in this like whole technological world of like a tsunami of information. So the amounts, the, the kinds of information that we were basing our gut reactions on was just like this organic stuff. But as we kept increasing the sphere of the accessible knowledge, um, I think we can still have like a kind of like organic perception or what we're calling like a feeling, but that feeling might be based on an extension of the amount of previously available information. Um, of course, and if if you ex if you make that inform that pool of information bigger, yeah. you will have better better biases yeah. that are more useful than yeah yeah of course. yeah yeah. So you're right. Um, I noticed that the last question that I had for you has kind of already been answered because it's like you know the attitude of uh, karma yoga in the blockchain development. Uh, you know, and we already kind of talked about how it connects with the Laurel project. So I think I'm kind of satisfied with that, that question now, unless you wanted to say something else about that. Just that the Laurel project is, is the generalization of my own spiritual path. Yeah. yeah. So I generalized it so that anyone else can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. That was like, that was all my questions. And uh, thanks a lot for coming on my podcast. I did not really expect that I would be talking to you so soon. Um, so yeah, I mean, thanks for inviting me and thanks for making this effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's I, I came as a uh, as a result of your volunteer work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining me and Loredana in the room of lives today. Take care. Until next time.